Welcome back to another episode of the TR Hoops podcast, Tobacco Road Hoops, with your host, Jeremy Shaheen. This week, I'm going to be talking about Duke's home game against Wake Forest. I'm going to be talking about Carolina's home game against Pitt on Wednesday night. And I'm also going to sprinkle in, there's a new book that just came out uh, from Ian O'Connor called The Rise and the Reign of Mike Krzyzewski. And there's a lot of news about that. Um, I'm going to go into a little bit about that and some of the comments made. As well as I'm going to give my top three point guards the last 20 years uh, since 2000 of each school. The top three point guards, I'll rank them all, um, each three of them, and, and give my two cents on that as well. I want to start with, since it's been all over the news on Twitter, on uh, ESPN, um, pretty much on everything about in the sports world about Coach K and the situation with Tommy Amaker, Duke administration, and John Shire. And first of all, I want to preface this by saying Ian O'Connor is the person who wrote the book. He's written some bestsellers. Um, Bill Belichick, there was a book, another one about Arnie and Jack for golf. I did something on Derek Jeter as well. So he's pretty well known um, in the industry. O'Connor also worked for the National Sports Daily. He was a reporter and he did some different things with ESPN um, on the radio shows as well. So he's had his hands tied and sports for a long time. I want to also say whether you like him or not, Coach K is, uh, as far as college basketball goes, either 1A or 1B with John Wooden, and I don't think that's really a debate as far as best coaches ever. So then this brings me to the fact that apparently, and I don't know if this is true, um, I know this Ian O'Connor, is he's writing a book and trying to get people to read it, so he needs to put out things that are, um, you know, will make people dive more into this book and uh, buy the book. Um, But he says that that Duke, the administration, and the athletic department offered Tommy Amaker the Duke basketball job uh, when Coach K said he was going to retire. And I'm not sure if that's true, like I'm saying, but if it is true, I think that's the root of the problem. Um, We've seen some coaches in the past, let's say, for instance, down the road, Roy Williams, He chose Hubert Davis. It was his decision. And I think, you know, more than anybody, maybe ever, um, and and I've said this before, no one school, no one program has relied on one man more than Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski at Duke. So I think he's earned the right more than probably anybody to choose the next head coach at Duke. So to start, there's a few issues I have with this. First of all, with the Duke administration and athletic um, department. Why are they going out and doing this on their own without Coach K's nod of approval? Um, that's just baffling to me. I don't know why they would do that without Coach K, who, like I said, has built this program up. He owns the right to choose the next coach at Duke. That's just what I believe, and uh, I'm surprised that if that is true, that Duke would go out of their way without consulting Coach K about that move. So that's number one for me. The thing that's most alarming about this whole thing is how that was handled in the communication with Coach K, or rather the non-communication with Coach K and the Duke Athletic Administration. Now I could see a situation where one of the Duke former players or assistants was now a head coach and they were just knocking knocking it out of the park, doing a heck of a job at a Power 5 school, but that hasn't happened. There's been nobody... Um, Some guys have done decent. You look at Johnny Dawkins, he went to Stanford, didn't do great there, went to UCF. 
Jeff Capel, VCU, then he was at Oklahoma, then he came back to Duke, now he's at Pitt, doing okay. I mean, I don't know if Jeff's going to make it through this season. Um, I do think he will now, but it's like nobody has Chris Collins, Northwestern. Um, you know, they made the tournament a few years ago, but it hasn't been great. Steve Wojciechowski just got let go this past year at Marquette. Um, you know, there's not one guy where I could see that, you know, that's that guy at Duke, the next head coach, because he was in that program and he's doing a great job. And then Tommy Amaker as well. He's done a good job at Harvard, but uh, as far as basketball goes, you know, the Ivy League isn't in the same class, obviously, as the ACC and Duke basketball. Um, and he did coach a little bit at Seton Hall in Michigan, but uh, that was about 15 years ago. And um, he just, I, Harvard's done a good job, but, you know, that's that's not that type of level, like I said. So um, I didn't see anything from any of those former assistants that, you know, said that's the next guy. That's the easy, easy choice. So then that leads me to Shire, where he's been in the program the last uh, eight years. He played just over 10 years ago. Um, you know, he's, he's more in the modern Duke basketball era, uh, so to speak. Um, and he's been a good recruiter from everything I've heard and seen. And um, obviously, I don't, I don't think Duke would get the recruiting class that they had this upcoming year for 2022 being number one. That wouldn't have happened if Tommy Amaker came in. Um, and also, um, if Tommy did come in and Coach K wanted him on the bench, they had to kick somebody else out um, as, as an assistant. So maybe Nolan Smith gets let go. And that guy, I think, is one of the best assistant coaches and recruiters in the country. I think he will ultimately end up being that. So um, it was just a situation where it just that was the easiest choice in my eyes of John Shire becoming the next coach. I think he's proved it. Coach K said that many times. We all know his basketball mind is his savvy as a player. Um, and I just think that that was the best decision, the smoothest decision for Duke basketball. So like I said, just wanted to touch on that as his book's coming out um, in the next few days. And I know a lot of different things will probably come out um, about details within that book. So should be interesting to see. Now I'm going to get into the games. I'll start with UNC versus Pitt. Uh, Pitt came to town, you know, they've had another rough year. It's been, you know, I actually thought Jeff Capel may be let go early on this year, um, at the end of this year. But, you know, now I'm not sure if he will keep his job for another year. He's, he's definitely on the hot seat and actually went to a uh, Pittsburgh-Syracuse game earlier in the year. And, you know, the, there was barely anybody in the building, not much student support. So that's tough to see for them as, you know, it's ACC basketball, it's Syracuse versus Pitt, an old school um, Big East rivalry, and not many people came out. Granted, both teams aren't doing great, but you know you'd still hope to see some fans in the in the building for an ACC matchup. To start this game, Carolina got off to a hot start, 5-0. It seemed like it was business as usual at home. You know, taking care of a team that you know really hasn't had much success at all this season, um, and has had a lot of uh, a lot of downs this season, um, but. The score was uh, close until Pitt went on a 21 to two run uh, towards the end of the uh, first half, and uh, you know I think that shocked everybody. It looked like they were being physical with UNC. Everything was going in. It seemed like nothing could go right at that point for UNC, and everything went wrong. And then on the other end for Pitt, everything went right. 
uh, for them. They were getting bounces. They were getting, you know, calls their way. It felt like, you know, UNC really had to fight through that uh, period of time. And, you know, that loss, they, they uh, got down by 17 at half. It was 40 to 23. Um, and, you know, that's a substantial amount to try to come back from. You know, a team like UNC can do it. They have the firepower to be able to do it. But you never want to put yourself in that situation. Um, and, and it's even more surprising at home where, you know, they've been so good this year. The second half, you know, started the same as, as you know, the end of the first half. Pitt, you know, was even increasing on their lead. Um, and things were just going their way. And, you know, I remember a Baycott foul at the three-point line. He hits the guy and banks in. I mean, that was just kind of the night. There was kind of lackluster energy from Carolina. And then all of a sudden, you know, something ticked where, you know, they were making a late push to try to get back into this game and try to win it. They made a big run there at the end. Caleb Love, uh, he scored 15 of his 19 points in the last five minutes and 10 seconds. Um, he, he, you know, turned a switch, a switch and, you know, a, a fire went off. I mean, that guy was unconscious for a while playing like everyone thinks he can play all the time, not just five minutes out of the game. Herwin Walton had a stretch where he scored 11 points. He was doing it from three, from mid-range. He was a he was the biggest bright spot I would say in that game, um, but you know all in all, pitch shot fifty one percent from the floor, fifty eight percent from three, um, and coming into the game, they were in the two hundreds nationally in pretty much everything on Ken Palm as far as ratings go. Uh, the worst ACC team as far as ratings go, um, and, and you know this was a huge shock. I think this was UNC's worst loss of the season. Um, you know, this is a game where going into it, you know, the players knew they had to have this game. you got to take care of business against a team like Pitt at home and punish them early and knock them out early. Um, but, you know, the opposite happened to them. This game really hurt UNC because it felt like all year they were, you know, and you don't want to say this as, you know, but I just thought that UNC had beaten all the teams that they had to beat and they lost all most of the teams that, you know, you thought they could get beat by. So they didn't have one loss where you go, this is really bad. This looks horrible on the resume uh, for the for the committee um, as far as the tournament goes. But this was that one pit, and uh, it was a quad four loss. It actually it actually moved pit all the way up to quad three um, with their win. So it was a quad three loss at home as it stands right now. Some soul searching had to go on for Carolina because they had to turn around and play against Virginia Tech at Virginia Tech, who was red hot. Um, that's this Saturday. And, um, you know, it was, you know, they had, they had to pretty much win that game. That was a game where, you know, UNC really has to have uh, to bolster their tournament resume, and that's a surefire quad one win if they can get that on the road. Uh, but, you know, that was the case where they were, where they stood after that pick game. Like I said, VT had red hot six straight. Uh, playing at home. It was a great crowd. Um, UNC backs against the wall. You know, you don't know what the players could be thinking after that loss against Pitt. Um, you know, we've seen them before where they lost it to Duke at home and, and they rose to the occasion on the road at Clemson. But I thought this one would be a tougher one for them being that Virginia Tech was so hot, healthy, 
and uh, they need the win themselves. I mean, Virginia Tech is right on the bubble as well, so this was a win that Virginia Tech had to have at home uh, to secure themselves or give themselves, bolster their resume hopes for the tournament. The biggest uh, key to this game, I thought, was going to be the three-point shooting of Virginia Tech. They were the number one team coming in in ACC play at 41% from three uh, heading into this game. So, you know, Couture, Storm Murphy, they had a lot of they got a lot of guys that can then uh, can fill it up beyond the arc. But with the stakes as high as they've been, and UNC in a position, um, you know, to go either way as far as off the bubble or put themselves into, you know, more tournament contention. Um, Caleb Love just rose to the occasion, as we've seen him do before. Um, and it makes you kind of wonder, why can't this guy do it every minute of every game? You know, UNC, uh, they really rely on him, obviously. And he uh, he has that ability. I mean, he's got that NBA build. He can make NBA threes. He's athletic. He's strong. Um, you know, you just kind of wonder why. And I'm sure scouts go through this as far as evaluating him at the end of this year. And looking at him in the draft, you know, why does he have those lapses of energy or, you know, he kind of, he kind of goes ghost, which is very surprising for a player of his caliber and, and with that much talent that he's got. But in that game, I thought this was his best game in, at UNC um, and definitely of the season. He stepped up in a huge way. Uh, also, Baycott had 12 points. In the second half, he had 15 rebounds. Uh, another double-double, and then he was even looking like uh, his buddy from last year, Walker Kessler. He, Baycott had five blocks, um, so he was putting on every every facet of the game. Manic had 14 points, RJ 10, um, and UNC got this huge win, their first quad one surefire win. The, the quad one win with Michigan is kind of teetering um, because that they have to be top 30, in Ken Palm for UNC to be for that UNC Michigan game to be considered a quad one win, and Michigan's right around that. Um, so that could end up being a quad one win, but this Virginia Tech win on the road um, is a surefire quad one win. So this is you know what they've desperately been coveting uh, for this season. Like I said earlier, Caleb Love had 21 points, seven assists. Um, he was a floor general looking for his shot, but also willing to give the ball up. Um, and he, uh, I mean, he just, he played, like I said, his best game, um, I thought of the season in the most opportune time where they had to have it on the road, um, against that Virginia Tech team. Now, something noteworthy is UNC went up by 10 plus points and then Virginia Tech made a run there, uh, which, you know, all good teams are going to do, you know, you have to expect that, especially on the road, they're going to make a push to try to, uh, make this game closer and UNC answered that. Uh, they answered the bell. Leaky Black was, you know, I I think he's been, you know, and you can look at Baycott as the double-double machine, but I think Leaky Black has been as consistent as anyone all season for them. Um, you know, he made, there was a couple plays that he made that, um, in a row, that uh, he had a steal, and then he got the ball back and got the N1, um, and, you know, he just, he's been making opportune plays when they've been needed most whether it's defensively, offensively, hitting a shot, getting a rebound, making a steal. Um, this has been his best year yet. And, uh, you know, that that had to be, you know, make Carolina fans happy as they really rely on their starters. And, uh, you know, they rely on their starters as much as anybody um, in the country, I would say. 
So with that win, it made the week much better. UNC could go into their next game against Louisville, where they only have one day to prepare. Uh, but Louisville's lost seven of eight. UNC beat them back in uh, at Louisville earlier this season, and uh, you know UNC's they got to take care of home court here, where they just lost against Pitt. So they'll be fired up for that. And I'd be surprised if Louisville could keep that thing close uh, down into the second half. But you never know. So UNC's got to come out with energy. You know, they got to make the first punch and and uh, play their game. And if they do that, you know, they should be fine against Louisville. Now I'll touch a little bit on Duke's games. They played against Wake Forest at home. And then FSU was uh, another game they had this Saturday. Um, against Wake, that was a big-time game. Wake's a good team. They're right on the bubble right now. I think they have the player of the year right now. Him and Baycott are my two leading player of the years. But I'd probably go Alondis Williams, one, Baycott, two, as things stand right now. But uh, the transfer, Alondis Williams, is, is having one heck of a year. Um, and he picked up three quick fouls in this game, um, You know, which this guy is so counted on by Wake Forest and Steve Forbes that you know, you thought maybe Wake has no shot with him having three fouls. Duke went up 19. Um, but then all of a sudden, you know, Coach K goes out at halftime. He was feeling lightheaded, so he didn't return. Um, but then Duke, Duke did get back up to 19, but they took their foot off the gas pedal, as we've seen um, them do. And uh, this game got tied with 17 seconds left. Uh, Duke just made so many time management errors. Uh, for instance, Trevor Keels had the ball, Shire wanted to call timeout, and Trevor Keels just um, abandoned the timeout and tried to, you know, fake it, fake the timeout and go for a dunk uh, lob up to Mark Williams. He threw it away. There was another instance down the stretch where A.J. Griffin gets a three. You know, Duke's, there's 25 on the shot clock. Duke's coming down. No reason to take a, an NBA three, and he launches a three, and, and no Duke players are down there. Um, so th there was a lot of head-scratching decisions. Uh, another one with Wendell Moore. He had the ball there near half court, and he's starting to lean back for a um, over and back, and he just kind of holds the ball and goes back. He doesn't call a timeout. He doesn't throw it to a teammate. Um, so he just tried to get bailed out by a foul, but you, you, know, you can't rely on that. So Duke had a lot of stretches, um, you know, a lot of boneheaded plays where they just – they didn't seem in it, um, and if it weren't for a Mark Williams uh, put-back dunk at the buzzer, you know, Duke may have lost that game, uh, another game at home. So, you know, I don't know. They're, they're just not looking very good at home. It almost looks like Duke is sleepwalking sometimes when they play. Um, you know, this was a game on February 15th. Uh, I remember saying uh, to myself, this is the night where Duke – they can't win the championship. I don't think they have a shot. Um, you know, obviously they do have a shot, but I don't think they can make this, the run six games in a row in an NCAA tournament. Um, I just don't think that they're too young. They don't have composure. They don't have uh, experience. Um, you know, no point guard doesn't help. No one to settle down. Uh, you know, I, I just don't see where they can win six games in a row, and maybe I'm wrong, but you know, I think there's probably six to eight teams that have a legit shot to do it, and uh, they're teetering on that right now. I don't, I don't see that they can, they can have the ability to do that. I know they've stepped up in big games, but 
you know, the consistency isn't there. Um, and, and we'll see what happens with them. Followed that game up against FSU, uh, where FSU just, you know, all five of their starters were injured. We saw what Carolina did to them. They just blew them out of the water right away. Uh, Duke had a bit of a tougher time. They've, they didn't come out with energy. It always seems like these other teams are, you know, first to the punch, um, and, and enjoying time and Cameron a little bit too much. And, uh, you know, they, they, if it weren't for a 12-2 late run in the first half for Duke, uh, it could have been tied at half. So FSU shot 60% in the first half. Um, and like I said, if it weren't for Joey Baker's four threes, you know, Duke could be in a dire situation against FSU without any starters um, and their leading score. You know, FSU is a team where without their starters and, and their main players, you know, they're towards the bottom. But if they did have everyone healthy, I think they're a top two to three team in this ACC season. Uh, and Leonard Hamilton's that good. So, you know, they played their hearts out at Duke. They did all they could. Um, and they hung around for a while. Um, and I think Trevor Keels did do a good job. He had eight assists. I thought that was his best game as a floor general. Uh, we're just, you know, we're not seeing it from Jeremy Roach. You know, and it makes me, like I, I said, uh, you know, I think Duke should have probably gotten a transfer portal point guard, but, you know, they believe in Roach, and, and that's the way they went. And, uh, you know, we'll see if he can step up to the task, but it just hasn't been uh, – he kind of – he's good for at least one travel a game, it seems like, um, stepping before he makes a dribble. And, uh, you know, some of the decisions he makes are just – it doesn't feel like that there's a lot of composure there. And I know his freshman year was weird with COVID and all, but, you know, I, I just haven't seen what we thought we may see from him uh, step in the right direction this season. You know, he's had spurts, but, you know, the consistency just hasn't been there. I want to get in, like I talked about, uh, my top three point guards from each university, each school, each team um, in the last 20 years. So I'm going to start with Carolina. And uh, it wasn't easy. I mean, there's been some good point guards there, obviously, uh, and, and guys I left off. You know, Cole Anthony, he was a really good point guard. He, he didn't – his season didn't go like he had hoped. Uh, injuries and the team was lacked talent. But I think if he had a good cast around him, he could have went down as a top three point guard in the last 20 years. But, um, you know, Kobe White was one I left off. He did great. Uh, obviously at Carolina and ended up being a lottery pick and he's doing well as well in the uh, NBA now. But with number three, I am going to go with Kendall Marshall. Um, you know, the assist, this guy, the way he did it, I mean, you always think of Carolina is up and running and uh, the, the fast break offense, um, the secondary break. And you, I always at least thought of running up and doing that, but he did it a different way. He did it with the pass. And he was as good of a passer as I think they've ever had um, in Carolina Blue. He had 581 assists in two years. Um, that would have broken Ed Coda's record if he kept at that pace. Uh, if he had stayed for four years, he ended up being a lottery pick going to Phoenix. Um, and, and his NBA career due to his three-point shot and his lack of athleticism didn't work out, but Man, in college, he, the way he pushed the ball without running with the pass in the air was, was special. Um, 
He had 351 in a season. That's the record, that 2011-2012 season where UNC was uh, pretty, they were the best team that season, I thought. Um, and and that, those 351 assists in that one season were 67 more than Ed Cota had in his best season. So Kendall Marshall was, was breaking records um, at, a, at a quick rate. You know, we all remember with UNC versus Creighton when Kendall, Mar- Kendall Marshall got hurt. That, you know, pretty much eliminated their hopes. He was that valuable to that team. They had guys that played in the NBA and really good players, but Kendall was such a valuable you know, the way he, he ran the offense, he was the head of the snake. So uh, his, his, uh, putting him at number three, I mean, he was so valuable to that team um, when he was at Carolina. This was a tough one between number one and number two. I had to go with Ty Lawson at number two. And I always say from end to end, he was the quickest point guard I've ever seen in college. Maybe Darren Fox is up there who plays in the NBA now for the Sacramento Kings. But Ty Lawson, I mean, that guy was like lightning quick and he was also really good at uh, defense he had eight steals in one game um that's the second most in any game i believe there were nine in another game but ty lawson i mean that guy was big time player um that was a dominant team at carolina his uh 2008 2009 with tyler hansborough and uh ty lawson was uh he was special um just a great player and that leaves me at number one with Raymond Felton. You know, I always liked his game a lot. He, he's one of my favorite Carolina players ever because his toughness. I mean, I, I don't know if there's many guys like that. I mean, that's why he had a long NBA career. Um, just so tough-minded, strong. Uh, I know at Carolina he averaged 12.5 points, seven assists throughout his career. Uh, but his three-point percentage went way up his last year. He shot 44% from three. Um, he still holds the assist single-game record at 18. Um, seventh in steals at Carolina. Um, that guy was just he's a national champion like Ty Lawson was. But, you know, Raymond, uh, he was recruited by um, Matt Doherty, and he stuck around for Roy. And uh, with Rashad McCants and those teams, Sean May, Jawad Williams, uh, they just had a special bunch, and Raymond was the head of that. And for that, I think of the last 20 years, he's the best point guard I've seen at Carolina. Now for Duke, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to keep Kyrie in this in this talk because he uh, he'd definitely be number one if he was able to play for one year. I'm not sure that team would have lost. Uh, with Kyrie, but, you know, holding him to 11 games, I kept him out of this. Um, for So for number three, that was actually a tougher one for me. I, I, I'm going with Trey Jones. Um, you know, he the improvements he made from his freshman year to sophomore year were substantial. I mean, I put him in the NBA. I know he, know he wanted to be a one-and-done with Zion, RJ, Barrett, and Cam Reddish, but he stayed, he worked his butt off. Um, is from freshman year, he's a 26% three-point shooter, and everyone said, you know, you got to be a better three-point shooter, you know, to move your draft status up. I remember teams would just play off of him from the three-point line, even in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Virginia Tech, when Duke played them with uh, that year, he uh, they, they dared him to shoot. They basically didn't even guard him um, because they didn't believe in his shooting abilities, and he, he he rose his percentage 10% to 30, 36% his sophomore season. 
He was ACC Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year. He swept those. Um, that year he averaged 16.2 points, 6.4 assists, 4 rebounds, uh, nearly 2 steals. Great defender on the ball, defender off the ball. Um, again, a tough-minded winner, and uh, that's why I'm going with him at 3. And then a little blast from the past with Chris Duhon. He's the leader in steals at Duke all-time with 300. Second in assists, he played four years. Uh, 123 and 21 was his record at Duke. That's the second winningest player in ACC history uh, behind Shane Battier. And uh, the, the best story I have about Chris Duhon is when uh, Carlos Boozer, their starting center, got hurt. Uh, Coach K had to change things up, and Chris was coming off the bench. Uh, Jay Williams, another storied player, um, was the point guard, and so they moved Chris Duhon into that role as the point guard, and they wanted Jay to be able to score the ball more um, and play kind of a quicker style offense without their big man down low, Carlos Boozer, and uh, Duhon was able to come in and do that as a freshman, and they won the title that year, and he had, you know, I remember he had a buzzer beater at Wake. Um, he was just another leader that uh, they made another Final Four uh, his senior year with J.J. Redick. And if J.J. would have played well, you know, they, they probably beat that UConn team uh, with Ben Gordon and, and uh, Mecca Okafor. Um, that's debatable, but, you know, Duhon was a heck of a leader and player, and so that's why I got him at two. Uh, that was a hard one with Duhon and, and Trey Jones putting uh, the second who I thought was the second best the last 20 years. And then number one, you know, my favorite player, uh, you know, I just love his game, Tyus Jones. Uh, you know, he was such a big-time player in the biggest moments, the clutchest moments was his time. He did it numerous times at Duke in his lone year. Uh, at Virginia, when Virginia was undefeated, he stepped up late. You know, you look in the NCAA tournament, he stepped up late, uh, almost every game. I always said he was, as an 18-year-old, he played like an NBA veteran. And I always figured that his uh, his worst in the NBA would be a, a backup point guard. Um, and that's what he is right now. But uh, the way he's been playing, if you've been watching any at all or seen any updates, he's playing great basketball and he's going to get paid a lot this summer. And he could start somewhere. So, um that's and, and another thing with him is when Duke was playing against Wisconsin, uh, getting ready to play against Wisconsin in the 2015 National Championship game, you know, I kept thinking to myself, I, I'm not sure who is going to win this game. Wisconsin's very experienced, um, and they had some NBA guys, Frank Kaminsky, Frank Kaminsky um, and just a, a really good team uh, who had just beaten Kentucky, who was undefeated. Sam Decker they had. Um, they were really hard to, to beat. Duke had actually beaten them earlier in that season at Wisconsin on the Big Ten Challenge. Um, so Duke had their hands full, but I kept coming back to the fact that Duke has Tyus Jones and Wisconsin doesn't. And, uh, you know, that ended up playing a big part in that game, and, and Duke got it done with Tyus. So he would be my number one of the last 20 years. Again, that's not with Kyrie Irving or Jay Williams. I'm not putting them into that category. Um, so... That's what I think of the, the top three point guards of each school the last 20 years. With that, uh, that's the wrap for this week. Uh, these teams both have um, an interesting week ahead. Like I said, UNC has one day to prepare for a Louisville team. And um, 
and Duke is playing at Virginia, where they lost on a they lost on a buzzer beater earlier this year uh, at home against Virginia. So that's going to be um, one where you know Duke's going to have their hands full. They did not play well in that game due to Virginia's uh, different style of play and toughness and energy. So uh, Duke's going to have their hands full in that game. On the weekend, Duke goes up to Syracuse against uh, that team on Saturday. And UNC heads down the road to State in Raleigh for another matchup where the first game they played each other, UNC uh, took care of business quite handedly and, and shot the lights out that day. So they're looking for another one of those out in Raleigh. With that, I appreciate you all listening to another episode of the TR Hoops podcast with Jeremy Shaheen.